Kia ora. welcome to Under the Checkered Flag, MotoGP edition. I'm your host Kate, and we're just going to jump right in. It's Monday, so that means I am here to talk about MotoGP. And by talk, I mean completely ramble away about whatever I feel like in relation to MotoGP, and vaguely try and keep it on topic. This week's topic is going to be the Qatar test because it's just happened, it's the last test before the start of the season and it's our basis, basically, for what this season's going to be bringing us and boy, were there some surprises. One of my biggest surprises is how worried I am about Miguel Oliveira and Augusto Fernandez. Miguel Oliveira did seem a lot more positive after the second day, according to reports, saying that he'd found something, tried new settings, had switched things up a little bit. So that, to me, is very positive. Hopefully, he is going to be up there fighting with the rest of the Aprilias because he seemed nowhere in particular, especially when we compare him to his teammate. Admittedly, Raul Fernandez did sheepishly a little bit admit that he was quite happy on the that he was running the 23 Aprilia rather than the 24 Aprilia because he did miss out on testing in Sepang due to having a couple of broken bones in his hip. So he was up there and he was fast and he was really fast which did surprise me but super excited because I do really want to see him actually show the talent that we do know he's got. So fingers crossed for Raul. Augusto Fernandez has me extremely, extremely worried. Yes, his teammate is Pedro Acosta, an incredible, amazing talent, but even if we're not comparing him to his teammate, he was pretty much at the bottom of the regular full-time riders, which is a big, big concern. Yes, we see him push through the field on a Sunday and really show his talent the majority of the time then. However, he's got to be putting in one lap pace, with qualifying so critically important in this aerodynamic era of MotoGP. I'm a little worried that he's not going to be able to qualify at the front. If he doesn't qualify at the front, I do think we're going to not see him get on the podium. I do think that him as a rider, incredibly talented, all of these guys on the grid, incredibly talented, but we do see less overtaking. Admittedly, he's on a KTM, a gas gas KTM, and they don't struggle as much with overtaking as, say, Yamaha do, but you still want to put yourself at least in the, you know, front nine, get through Q2 and place yourself so much higher to be able to push through on Sunday all the way up to those podium points. We know he's a Sunday man, like Brad is, but he just needs that consistency of starting a little bit higher up. Fingers crossed he does find something and can turn his Sunday form into Saturday form and hit some really good qualifying results. Because I do think he deserves his spot in MotoGP and 
with the silly season that is going to be so stupidly silly this year, he's going to need to fight and fight really hard to keep his spot because there are lots of riders that are talented and KTM are pretty darn ruthless. We've seen it, I suppose, most recently with Paul. Paul Espargo getting kicked off the team last year. Sure, he might have got a fancy new car to make up for it, but still, we know he wants to be on that grid and utterly, utterly ruthless KTM are. Although, that is due to the fact that they didn't get those two extra seats, which I think, personally, they should have definitely gotten those two extra seats with the eight Ducatis on the grid. But enough of me rambling about that because I have rambled in many other podcasts about it. Let's move on to talking about Mark Marquez. He was going to come up at some point and for the first time in the 2024 season, we have seen him push that limit on the Ducati and go over the limit of the Ducati, which I personally think is quite good. I'm glad he's done it in testing. I really hope he doesn't do it very, very frequently, like we know him to be and how he got his nickname Crashes or Crash. Yeah, I don't quite know how that rings. I see it all the time written down, but it doesn't really come out of my mouth in a flowing way. But then nor do the majority of the MotoGP, Moto2 or Moto3 riders' names, for that matter. So, Crashesque whatever his nickname is, just because he truly pushes every bike over the limit. Admittedly, he normally does it in practice, which is the best time to do it. He does seem to get it all out of the way, find the limit, so that when it comes to qualifying and the race, he doesn't need to go over that limit. Because I don't think I could survive another Germany. Germany 2023, or traumatized it's like that you know meme of the flashbacks it was yeah not not a good weekend for Marc Marquez and I don't want to see him looking forlorn and truly beaten by a a Ducati as well as he did that weekend in Germany because my gosh seeing him like with his head near his hands near that lake oh that 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 cut me deep I can't imagine how he must have felt to be truly beaten by that Honda. And I am, I always say it, I'm glad that Mark and Honda are parted ways because they needed it. It was a mess that both parties created. And so I'm really hoping that Honda can turn it around and make a bike that is rideable for everyone. And to be fair, it does look like they've done that. Or at least have made significant steps forward towards having a bike that's rideable for many, many riders rather than just one alien rider named Mark Marquez. One group of people, I suppose, that I think will be feeling a little bit hard done by might be the wrong terminology, but a little bit miffed, is the 2023 Ducati riders. While arguably they still are without a doubt on some of the best bikes on the grid, it seems a bit of a worry, whatever this is, that Ducati have found for their 2024 machine. Because that 2024 machine looks like it's going to absolutely dominate. 
and Peko Bagnaya very well may be getting his wish for the older satellite teams to be further behind because they just look so much further behind. There's this undertone of worry, I think, in the paddock for the one-year-old satellite Ducati teams because they can see that the factory has made these really big step forwards and it's not going to trickle down to them. I don't know what sort of agreement, if any, they'll have for picking up new parts, for being able to get points towards upgrades or whatever they're going to do, or if those bikes are going to be completely, completely static. It's going to just be something quite hard to comprehend for them because last year they were so close. And so, especially the VR46 guys, well, maybe not the VR46 guys, but mainly Marco Bezzecchi, who it does seem that allegedly he turned down a ride to go to Pramac Ducati. So if he's now not going to be in the contention for winning races, for battling for podiums, and he turned down a ride that would have had him winning races and battling for podiums, I think I'd be quite frustrated and irritated, one, with myself, that this, you know, I'd turned down that ride, but two, I'd be equally frustrated that they've made such a step forward and the odds are that it's not going to trickle down to me. But who knows? Maybe there's more at play in that situation. I do still wonder if we are going to see him make the move to Yamaha, along with the VR46 bikes. All the media coming out is saying that it looks like they're going to sign again with Ducati. But we can't always trust reports that are coming out, and only time will tell. I think they are the team that's most likely to switcheroo. Other, I suppose you could call them less fortunate looking people coming out of the test are... I spoke about Miguel Oliveira and Augusto Fernandez a short bit earlier, but without a doubt the rider coming into this season who's got the least experience on their new machine is Franco Morbidelli. After his crash occurred at turn 9 of the Portugal racetrack where he was testing alongside his Ducati MotoGP buddies and VR46 guys. His CT came back clear, but he was ruled out of both Sepang and Qatar as a precautionary measure, so to say. It's just incredibly unfortunate for him that he will not be able to, you know, get any time on that new Ducati before he's you know, racing along Qatar in an actual race weekend. At least that GP24 does look so absolutely incredible and dominant, but he's coming from a Yamaha, a completely different bike, and he's going to have no time to adjust up to, you know, get himself up to speed, no time to see what feelings are there. He's going to have one practice session before he's on to time attack mode in practice two, where he needs to set a lap time to get himself into Q2 so he doesn't have to go through Q1 because this schedule is absolutely, you know, draining and you've really got to be pushing from the absolute get-go. And so it's quite unfortunate for him that he really is just going to have to do his best in that first race. 
and I guess it'll be interesting actually to see how long it does take him compared to the other riders because he'll be coming in completely fresh and seeing him develop over the weekend will be quite key to see how his season goes because he really does need to fight to stay in that seat because that seat is going to be so in demand with so many riders out of contract and rumours already being that Furman Audigier has a Premac seat. It, you know, they're not going to kick Jorge Martin if Jorge Martin wants to stay. So Franco really does need to come out absolutely swinging. I guess if he can't do it at Qatar, he's got to be up to speed by America, by Cota. I think, like I said, with those contracts coming up this year, I think silly season might start early. It does look like Pecco has signed, but he's going to be one of the only ones that, you know, are basically guaranteed a seat where they want. It's quite funny, really, how I guess it'll happen quite a lot this season, being the season that everyone's contract expires, that somehow in most episodes I'll end up speculating and rambling about the silly season contracts, where people are going to go, how stable people's seats are, that sort of thing. It's only natural. So, moving away from the Qatar test onto the calendar, because obviously we now know that Argentina has cancelled, and that one actually comes as a little bit of a surprise, because it came not out of the blue, but it was a lot more unexpected. Everyone's talking about, you know, which other ones may be at risk. And we know that Kazakhstan has to be a absolute maybe to race at. People I've talked to in the industry have said that they're treating it 50-50. 50-50 it'll happen, 50-50 it won't happen. I for one do hope it happens. I think a race in that part of the world would be exciting, thrilling. And I'm always a fan of bringing new circuits, especially new circuits that are a little bit left field. I do think we need to start looking at removing some from the core area that we have our tracks at. I don't know which ones I want to get rid of, but maybe some, you know, further afield. I'm absolutely not opposed to a second race being held in the America in the America, in the USA. I do want another South American race to come into play, I suppose, especially now we have lost Argentina. We don't have much representation from South America on the grid. I think having a GP there would be beneficial because it could bring new talent to the grid. It could bring whole new audiences to us because just look at India and how absolutely incredible that racing was and how incredible the turnout was, given the fact that everyone was absolutely slandering it, being, oh, is it going to happen? It's not going to happen. It was so much negative press around it. And yet people still showed up in droves for a race that may or may not have happened. And I, for one, am someone who, if I was looking at being in the area at the time and I wasn't entirely sure it'd happen I wouldn't have risked planning my week or my trip around it because I'm just not that kind of person I'm much more of a risk-averse traveler so the fact we got such a good turnout 
for a maybe race was really incredible. And I know that some people are arguing about this year's India track saying, oh, it's not going to happen already. Even though we did have such a good turnout and while there were visa issues all around for journalists and probably teams from what I've heard, I'm more inclined to think that India is going to happen because it's number one, a huge market. And number two, last year happened with only minor teething issues. But the biggest thing I think is that Dorna themselves must absolutely recognise the sheer size of the Indian market, not just for fans itself, but for motorcycle sales. The amount of people who ride in India is intense and incredibly mind-boggling to myself, who lives in this small little town in New Zealand where we have people who ride, but riding here, it's a very niche, you know, market. There's a few of us, we're a very tight-knit community, I believe, but it's nowhere near the sheer amount of people who ride overseas. Our car community is much, much larger and so many more people ride cars and utes are a big thing here which are like little tiny pickup trucks I suppose but motorcycling and motorcycle sales need to be a big part of what the manufacturers are on the grid for so that Indian market has got to be absolutely crucial and I can't see them you know tossing it away especially with what seems to be this sort of partnership I suppose let's call it a partnership allegedly let's throw some allegedly's in there I don't want to get my ass sued especially not over this YouTube channel that I had to say I've got quite a few more people tuning in say hello and welcome to all the newbies it's actually quite nice to have you here I'm enjoying it so thanks for subscribing all of you newbies I appreciate it but I still don't want to get sued <laughs> so allegedly this partnership that seems to be emerging between possibly some Indian manufacturers and companies, let's say, and possibly the Pierre Mobility Group. And so all these little extra factors that are just there in the background occurring definitely should be taken into consideration when considering if we are going to be racing in India again. Because I, for one, think Dawn aren't going to throw this opportunity away. I really hope they don't. I know it gets so complicated, especially when politics come into play, and I imagine that's a big, big part of the Indian race. And one thing I actually did notice is I run multiple screens. Anyone that knows me knows that I've got far too many screens, and I do actually watch a few different sources of MotoGP, I suppose. So last year, the broadcasting rights were the Geo Cinema. So I was running a VPN, which is totally legal. I was running a VPN on my phone and watching it on Geo Cinema on my phone, as well as watching it on TVNZ, who we don't know if they've still got the broadcasting rights this year, but I'll come to that later. And I also was watching it on Video Pass. Why do I do this? I honestly don't know. It started because we didn't, you know, New Zealand last year, we had something called Spark Sport, MotoGP was on Spark Sport, they had the rights to it. A little bit early in the season last year, 
Sparksport left, so they dissolved and things got given out basically. So Formula One went to Sky, MotoGP went to TVNZ. Then, then that was free to air. But because I didn't know where MotoGP was going, I ended up signing up for Video Pass, which has incredible coverage, but is very expensive. And so I wanted to get my money's worth, so make sure I'm watching that. But I also wanted to be sure that I was watching on TVNZ so that they knew that, you know, someone was watching it, that there's an audience there for it. So it was like, that was my reasoning. Why did I watch the Geo Cinema version? Because I actually started realizing that there were different feeds, I suppose. So the world feed is what Video Pass gets, and it's also what TVNZ got. And so when I was watching this video stream that was on Geo Cinema, I realized that they were seeing different things to what I was seeing on Video Pass, and I just found that really, really interesting. But I have completely digressed from, you know, Kazakhstan, which is what I first talked about. Where we're at at the moment is last year it got cancelled due to, I'm gonna absolutely butcher this saying like I do every time, homoglation? Hopefully you know what I mean. It got axed because it wasn't up to scratch basically. We haven't really had any more word on works that have been done at the track, if they have or if they haven't been done. I did try and do a deep dive in the depths of the internet and I did see that it looks like it's finished. Normally the tracks don't get homologa you know, that word that I'm going to try and pronounce for next week's episode so you don't all have to listen to me absolutely butcher it. It doesn't normally get signed off until just prior to a race, so really we won't know until we're right there and ready to race. But all we can do is wait. I do really hope that Kazakhstan is on the calendar. I'm fairly confident that India is on the calendar. But what do you guys think? Please do let me know. Do you think we're going to race at both? Do you think Hungary, our reserve track, is going to need to be used? Do let me know in the comments below. And as always, I am here every single Monday rambling about MotoGP. And next week I will be joined by Poza where we will be previewing our Qatar predictions and also rating the MotoGP liveries. So, kakitiano.